Good morning. My name is Phil, and I work with students here at the church, and it's my joy and honor to be able to open God's Word with you today while Dave is out of town. Have you ever known something was true until you till you knew it was true? Like you can know that waves are powerful until the first time that you're swept off your feet and crushed by a six-foot wave at the ocean, and then you know the power of water. As we've walked through the book of John, there's been this common theme throughout as Jesus performs signs and makes statements about himself. Each time we see that some believed, some doubted, and at times some were left wondering, who is this? And none of this by accident. In fact, this was the purpose of John's writing. If we jump towards the end of the book, John shares that these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Last week, we wrapped up chapter 10 and following an attempt to stone Jesus during the festival of dedication, or we call it Hanukkah today, he slipped away east of the Jordan and remained there for some time. We're probably, possibly a couple months later as we begin in John 11, which is the culmination of the first half of John and of the signs that Jesus performed. This is like the, the pinnacle. This is the tipping point that leads to the final weeks or final days of Jesus's life and ministry on earth. So let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to to look at the book of John. And there's a lot that we know about Jesus, but I pray that after um, a look at your word and a look at this incredible and powerful story, that we would know the power of God and that we would desire to know Jesus in a way that we haven't known him before. Uh, Open our minds, open our hearts, help us to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So, John chapter 11, starting in verse 1, says, Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him. Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. We start here with a pretty good summary and purpose of what will take place. And at this point, going back to Jerusalem for Jesus would mean certain death. And Bethany was just less than two miles away from the city. So it seems crazy that Jesus would want to take himself and the disciples back to Bethany, back into the area. And Jesus responds with the point of the story here. What's about to happen is for the glory of God, so that the Son might be glorified through it. This is most likely a message that was sent back to Mary and Martha that he gives here in verse 4. So we continue on. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Did you catch that there? He waited two more days before he did anything. Now, looking at the timeline of events, uh, it really wouldn't have mattered. It was a full day's journey from Bethany to where Jesus was, believed to be, probably about 20 miles away. So the messenger was sent one day, and Lazarus died that same day. The message arrives, Jesus waits two days, and then makes the one-day journey. When he arrives, Lazarus had been dead for four days. So he couldn't have got there in time, regardless of what happened. But he still waited. It just seems odd. 
yes, Jesus knew things that we don't, but here's something I think um, that's important to get out of this story. Sometimes, or many times, rushing into things isn't the best thing that we can do. How many times in Jesus's ministry did he seem to be in a hurry? I can't think of any. In fact, many times we see Jesus slip away to be with God before a busy day of ministry. Um, Jesus operated in the fullness of the Spirit and not in the timetable of humanity. He just worked differently. Like it, it you couldn't push him to, even when people were trying to hurry him along. I, I remember the story of the Jesus being rushed through a crowd and the woman reached out and touched him and Jesus stopped while being pushed and rushed through a mob. <laughs> it's like just a very odd uh, instance. And Jesus wasn't to be hurried. Um, he knew that rushing into things wasn't going to help anything. John Mark Comer said, hurry is violence on the soul. We get sucked into the tyranny, the urgent, not the important. Going, going, going doesn't allow our soul to breathe. Do you ever feel that? Especially as we approach the holidays, the pace of everything seems to pick up, doesn't it? Maybe before jumping into anything, the best thing that we could do would be to stop, seek our Father in heaven, and be filled by the Spirit to prepare ourselves for what's ahead of us, whether it be a crisis, a busy season, or simply the day that's ahead of us, so that we can function out of the fullness of God, rather than depending on the strength of man. But this isn't the point of the story, but it's something we probably would benefit greatly from if we were to put it into practice. There was purpose to Jesus waiting, and he had already said it, so that God would be glorified. Jumping down to verse 7 says, So Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, Just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going there again? Don't you remember what happened just a couple weeks ago? Aren't there twelve hours in a day, Jesus answered? If, everyone walk, if anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble, because the light is not in him. This is a verse that seems confusing and awkward, but this is a verse that's all about divine timing. Walking in the light was walking in the guidance of God. If I'm doing what God wants, nothing will happen to me that God doesn't intend. But on my own, walking in darkness, I'm functioning without the guidance and presence of God. I'm taking things into my own hands. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, this is our time to go. And it's okay to go. He said this, and then he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Then the, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas called twin said to his fellow disciples, let's go too so that we may die with him. In my head, I imagine this comment to be dripping with sarcasm. Like, this just seems like the snarkiest comment that you could ever say. Um, but in all appearances, this seems like this is a statement of commitment and devotion. And Thomas is saying, let's go. 
I'm in. Wherever you go, I will go. I'm with you. So Jesus arrives in Bethany, and Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. People have gathered from in town and the surrounding areas, including Jerusalem, to mourn with the family, because that's what people did, and what they still do. They surround you in your time of grief. It can be a blessing, and it can honestly be overwhelming. But we need people around us, and we need people there. And Jesus came to visit, and when Martha... Uh, John 11 tells us, when Martha heard Jesus was near, she got up to meet him. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. But honestly, that's so far away. I know you mean well, Jesus, but it'll be okay in the end just isn't what I need to hear today. Like this, this sounds like things that are often said as we mourn. Um, there is the hope for the future, but in the pain and hurting right now, that's not necessarily what many of us want to hear. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. I know that I know that'll be good one day, but today it just, it just stinks. And today it hurts. And I feel like you could have done something. I can imagine Jesus stopping her, looking deep into her eyes, saying, are you with me, Martha? Like, I, I need you to hear this. Like, I, I need you right here with me. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Her response is spot on with John's purpose of the book um, that we looked at earlier. She said, yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. She knew. She believed. But death, death was final. Um, death was... Death couldn't be overcome in her mind, which is kind of interesting because Jesus had already raised someone from the dead twice, but both of these times occurred in Galilee. Um, both of these times, the person was still in their home and had been dead for just a few minutes or hours. Um, the possibility that they might not be fully dead, just mostly, mostly dead. And Mary and Martha weren't present because they were from Bethany, not from Galilee, um, I'm sure they had heard about them, but they, this was real. This was close to home. This was their life that had been turned upside down. So then Jesus calls for Mary and she got up and, and as she got up, people followed thinking that she was going to the grave to mourn. And so they went with her and we see a very similar action to what Martha had experienced with Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. For both of them, their faith was sincere. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they were limited. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah, but they didn't know the power of God. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? he asked. 
Jesus was deeply moved. In in my Bible, there's a little, uh, there's an asterisk, there's a note at the bottom of the page. Um, and my Bible tells me that when Jesus was deeply moved, it says it was, the word means angry. We see the humanity and the emotional side of Jesus on display a ton in this passage. We hear of his deep love for his friend that leads him to go into certain danger to visit. We see mourning and sadness as Jesus weeps, but he's ultimately led to anger. B.B. Warfield writes, It's death that's the object of his wrath, and behind death him who has the power of death, and whom he has come into the world to destroy. Tears of sympathy may fill Jesus' eyes, but this is incidental. His soul is held by rage, and he is, and he advances to the tomb, in Calvin's words, as a champion who prepares for conflict. Jesus heads towards the tomb as a champion who prepares for conflict. He already knows he'll be victorious, but he's ready for the fight. And Jesus says, where have you put him? Let's go. In anger, he approaches because he's angry at death and angry at sin and angry at evil and Satan and saying, this is enough and I cannot wait to put this to an end once and for all. And I need you to see and to know who's in charge here. It's at this point that we get a glimpse of the tension in people that we've seen over and over and over in John's letter. Some believed and some doubted. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, couldn't he have opened the blind, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? When Jesus comes to the tomb and says to remove the stone, Martha speaks up. He's he's been in there for four days already. He already he's already starting to rot. I appreciate you coming, Jesus, and wanting to say goodbye. I know that he will rise again someday, but now this is getting weird. Like he's not just partially dead or mostly dead. Like he's dead, dead. He's gone, Jesus. What are you doing? Why are you opening the grave? Why are you opening this tomb? Please just stop it. This is this is painful and difficult. And Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? That's the whole purpose here. Not to get Lazarus back, not to heal our hurt, not that life would be made easier for us, but that God would be glorified. That people would stop and say, only God can do that. So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I have said this, so that they may believe that you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot within, with linen strips, and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unwrap him and let him go. Only the resurrection and the life could do this. Mary and Martha believed he was the Messiah, but now they believed it. They knew, but now they knew. Death is the physical result of what sin does in the spiritual realm. 
God grieves and mourns those who are spiritually dead. And just days later, he would do something about it to show his power over death and sin once and for all. Jesus came to put an end to death, to put an end to the effects of sin in our life and to show that we could be rescued. Do you know Jesus as the resurrection and the life? Can you clearly state how Jesus has made you alive and transformed you from life to death, from death to life? How is God making you new each day? If you can't see how Jesus has changed you, is it possible that you know Jesus, but you haven't truly experienced and know Jesus? Like Mary and Martha, your faith may be sincere, but limited. We can do a lot of good things, and we can be here every week, and we can be committed to following Christ and yet not truly experience him and be moved by him daily in our lives. I hope that you won't leave today without truly knowing God. Like, yes, I know who Jesus is, and I know that he came and died for me. I know that he loves me and rescues me. But I don't know how that's changed my life. I, I pray that that would not be you. Um, if that is you today, like I, I hope that there's this moment that we can stop and say, God, I know you, but help me to know you. I want to experience you. To be changed by the power of Jesus. To know that I have life in this world. That I have been moved from death. That I have been freed from sin and evil. So that I could be rescued to be yours. That you were angry over the sin that entangles me and holds me down. That you want me and know me. Then in the season of thanks, what are we, what are, what are you specifically doing to proclaim the life we have experienced in Christ to those needing resurrection from the spiritual death that they live in? Many of us live in darkness. Many of our neighbors and coworkers and family members, people all over the world live in darkness when it comes to who Jesus is. It moved Jesus to tears, made him angry to the point that he needed to do something about it. May God move in our hearts that we are led to do something to help people experience Jesus and have the opportunity to move from life to death. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And that changes everything. He brings dead things to life. May God move in our hearts that we are led to do something. And I pray that you know that and have experienced that life. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have power over death. You have power over sin in order to bring dead things to life. And I love this experience and seeing the picture that Mary and Martha, who knew you 
and knew you well. They knew you and trusted you to be the Messiah, but they didn't know the power of God. And they truly experienced you in a whole new way that day. And I pray that each of us would know you with a depth and an experience that says, man, only God can do this. Only God can bring life to dead things. Only God can bring hope to this dark world. God, I want to know you. And I pray that every person in this room and listening to this would know that you are God and trust that they can have hope and have life through Jesus. For those of us who do know you and trust you and follow you and desire to seek you daily, God, I pray that you would work in my heart and our hearts that we would be angry over sin and death. That we would be moved to do something in a dark world where people are lost and looking and searching for hope. Looking for life and not even realizing that they're dead. God, may, may we be moved to action. May the Spirit work in us and drive us and push us to be the people of hope. To speak of the love of Christ at every moment that we have. And that our neighbors and our co-workers and our family members and those that we run into every day would be transformed by the life-giving words of Jesus. And the hope that we carry that just pours out leading others to want that hope as well. God, we know you and we trust you, but help us to know you and seek you and obey you and honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.